I don't know where, uh, how you did yesterday as far as 9-11, all that. There's a lot of different things that went on and stuff like that. I really, I don't know, I really wouldn't call them celebrations because that, that thing you just really don't celebrate. It's <laughs> Pearl Harbor. You, did, you, did you celebrate that? You didn't. It's just a time of remembrance and mourning. And, uh, and for me, it's just, I, I, I can remember that moment. Um, I was over at uh, the School of Ministry, Pacific Evangelical School of Ministry, and uh, over at Hallier Hall on Jennings, in Jennings Lodge area. And came, came out to people already in the lobby, some of the other students there, watching the TV, what was going on. I said, I said what's happening? You know, and came out and saw everything unfold. That was a difficult day, um, watching all that go on. And it still affects me because it's just 3,000 people snuffed out just like that. And not just people, but souls. And souls that maybe didn't choose the Lord. Um, so it, it, it's, it's difficult. But uh, those, that day just continues to uh, have an imprint on me, and, and I continue to pray for the families that were affected by all that. But uh, you probably, it's one of those moments where you remember where you were during that time. And maybe if you're old enough, <laughs> you remember where you were at that time. But, uh, but anyway, we continue to pray. But in these next, uh, next few Sundays, we continue to explore uh, a word that some might call the E word, as you see in your bulletin, and, uh, but we call that evangelism, evangelism, sharing your faith, witnessing, and, uh, and for lots of reasons, most Christians almost never share their faith. Some people are so uncomfortable with evan- evangelism that they, uh, they should probably call it the E word, um, but in this series of messages, we will talk about sharing our faith. In ways that I, I trust won't lead to massive discomfort or guilt, like I mentioned last Sunday, but instead will lead to encouragement and empowerment through these Sundays. Hopefully it will encourage you, motivate you to be used by God in sharing your faith with someone else. And hopefully by the end of this series, uh, evangel- evangelism won't be just the E word in your life anymore. We're going to look at John chapter 20. And uh, we're going to start here with verse 18. I'm going to read this portion of Scripture, and then, uh, and then we'll come back, um, back through it with some comments. But John chapter 20, verse, starting with verse 18 and heading through the chapter. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, back up a little bit. Of course, we have the death of Jesus. And he was on the cross, put in the tomb, dead and buried. And then we have the uh, few of them coming to the tomb to um, care for the body. And there the, the, the tomb is empty. <laughs> the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. And so Mary Magdalene is looking at this going, what is going on? The other disciples ran off to go tell others. And, and she's had this aha moment because then Jesus comes to her. She says, and all he had to do is say, Mary. And she was like, oh, whoa. It's you. And then, of course, he was on his way. And so she then went in verse 18 to go tell the disciples about all these things. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were, to, were together with the, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have you ever heard of the second law of thermodynamics? <laughs> of course, that's something I always know about. Second law of, uh, of uh, thermodynamics. Thermodynamics, it's a basic scientific law right up there with the law of gravity. One definition of it says, the entropy uh, or disorder of a closed system will not decrease for any sustained period of time. So in other words, everything tends to wear out, run down, or stop working. And I think we all could testify to this second law having an effect on our own bodies over the years as things have worn out, run down, and in some sense, have stopped working. But uh, things move from order to disorder, from organization to chaos. And just, just check that, that, that closet in your house. Check that garage at your place where you organized it a few weeks ago. Is it still organized? Probably not. A little more towards chaos, a little more towards disorganization. You'll see the second law in action all over the place. I wish there was a way to break this law. If I were a lawbreaker, I'd break this law uh, because I would love for my garage to move from chaos to organization. That would be lovely. But according to an author named uh, Mark Middleberg, there is also a second law of spiritual dynamics. This law says, if left to themselves, Christians move toward self-centeredness. If that is true, then we have to work against the gravitational pull of selfishness. And we, I, I believe in, in the last series we had, the fruit of the Spirit, that helps us draw away from that type of, uh, uh, of uh, gravitational pull. But there's no way a self-centered Christian will be motivated to spread the gospel to a dying world. They're just turned in on himself or herself and just concerned about what is involved with that person. So, today's message is meant to help us get motivated for evangelism because there is no other plan. Jesus left it up to us, and there is no other plan, and we have to fight that second law of, uh, of spiritual dynamics where we, we guard against the self-centeredness and we look to otherness around us. You may remember that our church recently created uh, mission and vision statements, along with some core values 
We've shared that with you before. And in those core values, there is no indication of self-centeredness. It's outward looking. It's otherness. And one of those core values involves evangelistic conviction, where, where we value spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. We value that. And so what I'm trying to then, through this series, to help you value that as well, to put that as a, a priority. Evangelism seems to be the most susceptible to the second law of spiritual dynamics because it, you know it's too difficult. It's easier just to work on my own self. And then maybe, you know, if something happens, it happens. But Pastor Rick Warren put out a survey about the purpose of the church that shows why some Christians aren't motivated for evangelism. In the survey, 89% of the church members said the church's purpose is to take care of my needs and those of my family. Interesting. Only 11% said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. Self-centeredness. But according to Jesus, spreading the good news is our main purpose. Some think of evangelizing as a heavy burden. A heavy burden. It's just one more thing to feel guilty about, right? Oh, great. Here's Pastor Jim going to talk about evangelism. I haven't probably shared my faith in a long time. Here comes the guilt. But that's not the way we should be looking at it. In, in order to change that viewpoint, let me share some thoughts about sharing our faith to motivate you in this, uh, this endeavor. Because, again, there is no other plan. We are it. The call to evangelism is actually, let me share this, a heavenly honor. We should consider it a heavenly honor. If you look at the text here in John chapter 20, it was a Sunday evening, but it wasn't any, just any Sunday. Of course, Jesus rose from the dead early that morning. And the disciples heard this amazing news from Mary Magdalene, but they didn't believe her. And far from spreading the good news, they, they went into hiding. They feared for themselves. And verse 19 says, they were huddled together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. The reason they were hiding is kind of the same reason a lot of Christians hide behind church doors instead of spreading the good news. Uh, that reason is basically fear. It's fear. What will they think of me if I share my faith? They might reject me if I share my faith. I might lose my job if I share my faith. Uh, there's, you know, there's consequences speaking out for God. Well, look how Jesus ended their, ended their fear here. In verse 19, uh, he said, then Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus showed them his, his wounded hands and feet so they could know the truth. Then the text says that they were overjoyed because they had seen the Lord. But, but they hardly had time to soak it all in before Jesus made this amazing statement in verse 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. <laughs> You've you got these disciples huddled in a room, all fearful, and then Jesus comes in, peace be with you. And Oh, wonderful. Now, Go. Wait a second, Jesus. I mean, we're just enjoying our time here together. You want us to do what? Go. I am sending you. They had only believed the truth for a few minutes, and already Jesus is telling them to go and spread the word. It's as if, as if he tossed them the keys and said, what are you waiting for, guys? Go. Get going. Get out there. How many of you remember uh, the first time your mom and dad uh, gave you the keys to the car? They said, here, go ahead. 
drive away, enjoy it. That's when you really feel like you've grown up. I remember the first time that happened with me, and I was terrified. <laughs> I almost wanted to throw the keys back. I said, I don't want these. I was fearful of driving because I, I thought I was going to kill somebody. You've got this big old car driving. I don't want to run over somebody or anything like that or get in an accident. No, I wasn't too keen on driving too much. But, uh, but for those of you who have had that exhilarating experience of giving the keys to your child, now there is something. Very first time, you, you know what kind of trust you were placing upon them when you handed those keys over. Amy, one day, one day Maddox is going to want to drive, and you're going to have to hand those keys over to him. <laughs> we pray <laughs> for all you parents who have kids that are going to be growing up that way. But we've gone through it five times. We've survived, but each time it was exhilarating in the way of going, okay, I hope we see the car back in one piece again. <laughs> And it, it happened. It was fine. It all worked out. Uh, some of you don't know, actually, that I had a car before this uh, Toyota RAV that I got. Had it for a week. It was a Subaru Forester. It didn't work out for me. And so I went back, traded in, got this. Uh, but when I came home with that Subaru Forester, Brianna was like, oh, no way, because you know she drives a Subaru Forester, and it's like a 2003 and so I had this new one come driving up the driveway. Wow, that's great. And then, then later on, she's like, Dad, um, do you think I could drive to school for soccer practice? I was like, no, no. And then I got thinking, oh, okay, it's just a car. Sure, here are the keys. And then I thought, I'm placing trust in you on this. You know, have fun, but not too much fun. And so it's that kind of trust that you give the keys over to somebody. You're going, okay, trust that things are going to be fine. You're going to come back in one piece of this. The point is, giving someone the keys to the car means you have, have put a lot of trust in them. And when Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, he was entrusting us with something very valuable. We should see it as an honor, not a burden. Another motivation for telling others about Jesus is what we could call our spiritual warehouse. Our spiritual warehouse. When Jesus appeared to his disciples in John chapter 20, his first words were, peace be with you. The Hebrew word, of course, for peace is shalom, which means all good to you. All good to you. Jesus offers shalom or all good to you and me. And the good that Jesus gives you is what makes up your spiritual warehouse. Now, your warehouse will look a little different from mine. You've had more time to, to gather more of that in, inside that spiritual warehouse. And each person comes to Jesus in different ways, at different ages, through different circumstances. So no one's spiritual warehouse is going to have uh, the same amount or, or same type of things. Uh, it's the experiences we go through. But for all of us, he gives forgiveness in place of guilt. That is in everyone's spiritual warehouse. He gives joy in place of despair, and he gives courage in place of fear. So if you're fearful about this evangelism thing, this sharing my faith thing, realize that he gives courage in place of fear. When you receive that much good, you just naturally want to tell others about it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the first three verses, it says, Grow up in your salvation not that you have now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You've tasted that. You know that he is good. 
Now grow up in your salvation. Is, isn't that true? When, when you taste something good, you want to spread the news, right? Crumble cookies. I don't know if anybody's gone to crumble cookies before or got any of those. Uh, Brianna comes home with some at times, and she said, look at these. These are great. And I look at them, and I'm going, what is this? <laughs> They're all different flavors. Cookie about this big and decorated, and they've got all sorts of different flavors uh, for these cookies. She'll come home and say, this is the greatest, Dad. And she's also got a cookie cutter for it. You can get one of those. And, you know, and get in sections, looks like a little pizza. Take one of them and say, try this. This is wonderful. And she was so excited about the, the flavor of, of the week, I guess. They have flavors of the week. And uh, things like that. Fresh fruit. Oh, this watermelon tastes wonderful. You should have some. Right? You don't just keep it yourself unless you're like, yeah, no, 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 no. You don't want any of this. But you want to share what is good, what is good about the, the watermelon. Steak. <laughs> Who doesn't like a juicy, tender steak off a barbecue? Um, it's, the most, it's the most tender and delicious thing. Here, have a bite. We share that with one another. Ice cream. It, well, maybe not. <laughs> I probably won't share that <laughs> as much. You won't like chocolate chip mint. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. You won't like that. But, but all of us talk about the things that excite us. Really, we've heard people go on and on about their latest vacation trip, right? Just look at Facebook. You get a good idea of where people have gone, and you go, hmm, wish I could have done that. Or their wonderful grandkids, right? And, you know, feel free to ask Becky or I for any details about that on ours. I'm sure Becky will love to share some pictures about our grandkids as well. And people are usually ready to talk at any time, anywhere, about sports, right? Did you watch the Did you watch the Yankees and Mets game yesterday? What a game that was! Yankees won eight to seven. It was great, uh, but Neil's probably crying. Uh, Mr. Mets fan, sorry, Neil, if you're online. But uh, people like to share great news. Something. How? Wow! Did you watch the Oregon Ducks play the Ohio State Buckeyes? They beat them, and you Beaver fans are going, "Yeah, great." No, nope. who cares? <laughs> but. All these things, we like to share wonderful things that, that we experience. No, I don't know how many people ever go golfing alone. That would be a horrible experience, especially if you hit a great shot. <laughs> you chip it in from 50 yards, and you're going, yeah, did you see that? Nobody <laughs> saw that. Oh. You want to share great things with people. So why don't Christians talk more about our powerful loving, and forgiving God. Why not? For some, the reason is described in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, I hold this against you. You have forgotten your first love. Maybe some of you can remember your first love back in the day. Probably take you back in high school or whatever it might have been, maybe even grade school. That first moment you fell in love. Anyway, you, 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 you first fall in love, you have no trouble admiring, praising, thinking about, dreaming about, and especially talking about that amazing person. You talk to your friends about them. You talk to whoever will listen about that person. The one you love stays in the forefront of your mind all the time. The point is, our relationship with God belongs in the forefront of our minds. 
we need to remember our first love. We need to take stock of our spiritual warehouse, all that God has placed in there that is good for us. That means we might need to, to, to make a list, to take some inventory. What is there? What has God done for you? Like that old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. We need to do that on a regular basis, especially during these days when we find nothing but discouragement and tension and strife. But if we continually thank God for the good he gives, we'll be ready to talk about him when the chances arise. Because it's, we want to share that great thing that's going on in our lives. So we need to go back. What is that great thing? What has God done for you? Be reminded of those good things that God has done. And there, there are plenty of good reasons to share the good news, but there's also a, a negative kind of motivation as well. When it comes to evangelism, the stakes are high. Eternity is in the balance. Now, I've noticed that most people like to talk about heaven, but it's not the political correct thing to bring up the other H word. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, though, hell is a major theme in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus explained more about hell than any other teacher. The so the reality of hell should motivate us to tell lost people how to be saved. Realizing that there is a hell to shun. An old Baptist preacher named Vance Havner once said, It's been a long time since I've heard people speak of an unsaved boy or girl as being lost. That old word has departed from our Christian vocabulary. Young people who are prospering materially and socially are admired, but if they don't know Jesus Christ, they are not doing well. We act as if their lost condition was incidental. Either it is a stunning issue of heaven or hell, or it means nothing. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He died for them. He is their only hope for salvation. There is something wrong when we say we believe, we believe that, but act as though it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it, it, it does matter. <laughs> it matters you know, for all the world. Maybe one reason we have trouble witnessing is because it actually does matter so much. We realize the, the cost. We realize that this is something important. And, and, and who am I to bring such an important message? Who am I to be someone who would help someone figure out if they're going to live eternity in hell or eternity in heaven? Why put me in that position, God? Why, why put me there to do that? We can carry on and on about unimportant things because it doesn't matter if we get it right. There aren't consequences as much as this. But when something is a life and death issue, we are afraid of messing up, right? We don't want to get it wrong. There's too much at stake. So it seems safer just to stay quiet. It seems safer just to let someone else do it. What if we say the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way? Then they'll be turned away from God forever, and I'll be to blame. Do you feel overwhelmed by the importance of the task Jesus gave us? Go out. Go out, he tells us. I send you. You're not alone. No one is really up to such an important task. I know for me, 
when I started this 18 years ago, uh, to stand up behind this pulpit and to bring messages, to come and, 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 and be your pastor and help you in spiritual ways, that was a daunting task, and it still is a daunting task to me. Because eternity is in the balance. Where are you going to spend eternity? And from the messages that are preached and the Bible studies that are taught and everything else, there's, there's a spiritual warfare going on and there's eternity to consider. And so for me, yeah, it, <laughs> this is a daunting task here. And I, each Sunday, I'm like, okay, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> I'm the guy. And God just continues to Use not only me, but also you guys as well in other people's lives. You might think it's a daunting task, and, and, and very much so, and that's good, because if you thought you had it all, <laughs> all, all tucked away and ready to go, then that's when you probably should worry, <laughs> and you should be concerned. We should always um, realize that we can't do it on our own. It is an important task in sharing our faith. It is a daunting one, but you don't do it alone. Jesus didn't ask us to do the job on our own. In, in, in verse 22, John, John chapter 20, he said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And look what he did immediately after that. He didn't just stop and say, so have fun. Good luck. He said, with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives and breathes in the Holy Spirit helps you pray for your friends. He gives you the words to say when the time is right, and He helps you live the life that backs up your witness. And best of all, the Holy Spirit works in the heart of the person you are talking to. It's not only up to you. God is working on that person's life as well. In John chapter 20, all of the apostles except one had seen the resurrected Jesus. And then verse 24 explains that now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And when these men told Thomas the good news, they, they, they did not get the response they wanted. <laughs> they were probably thinking Thomas was like, oh, great, that's wonderful, praise the Lord. But no, he didn't. <laughs> he said, I can't believe it unless I see it myself. Have you come across people like that when you're sharing your faith? Okay, that's good for you, but yeah, yeah, it's not for me. Soon after that, though, Jesus stepped in, quite literally, <laughs> stepped in. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe." And leave. Dom, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Even though the doors were locked, you know, a lot of people are really closed to the gospel. And it's not just up to you to try to yank those doors open. Jesus will get in. He will get in some way in a person's life. You just got to trust that. But look at the chrono chronology, chronology here. Uh, the disciples shared the good news, but their friend wasn't ready for it. Then Jesus revealed himself directly to their friend, the same way Jesus had revealed himself to them a week earlier. And that was the point where Thomas believed. 
So this shows us a picture of what the Holy Spirit does after you witness to a friend. When the time is right, Jesus will reveal himself to your friend. Just like he revealed himself to you. I think this is the best news of all. Just like the Holy Spirit works in your heart, he will work in the heart of the person you are talking to. Your part is to tell your friend about God. The Holy Spirit then will do the rest. We just need to be obedient, ready to be used by God. Once you've played a part in leading a friend to Christ, you will know a kind of joy that's like no other. If you've led someone to the Lord, you know that joy. You remember that time, that moment. The joy of bringing someone to Christ is a big motivation for sharing the gospel. And that's the last uh, point here I'll bring as far as the motivation part. It's a great feeling to know someone will be in heaven because of your prayers and your words. When you experience that kind of joy, you, you, you won't want to stop with just one. <laughs> you, know, you want to continue on sharing with someone else. Maybe that person will, will come to Christ too. I remember as a staff person at uh, Tillicum Camp, eight miles northwest of Newburgh there, had three summers there as a staff person and uh, was able to lead all, all sorts of kindergarten through sixth grade kids. Each week was a different uh, group of kids, different age level, and it was wonderful. Helping those little kids not only learn about nature and God out there, but also sharing with them the gospel. And there were times when those kids would say, yeah, I would like to pray. I was like, cool. <laughs> and that just motivated me for the next week, thinking, okay, here comes some more kids. Let's see what we can do and help them see Jesus and <clears throat> maybe make a decision for him. It was, it was the joy of being able to do that. The same thing as being a counselor at our conference uh, youth camps, senior high camps and junior high camps. I loved it being out there, just uh, mixing it around with the, with the youth and letting them see um, who Jesus is and living it out for them and then also, too, sharing it with them uh, and seeing some kids come to the Lord. It was a joy being used by God in those weeks of camp. But don't expect to see results every time you share the gospel. <laughs> i got to put that in there a little bit. Billy Graham once said that it takes 40 people to lead someone to Christ. The first one thinks they did nothing. The last one thinks they did it all. <laughs> Just remember that anytime you speak out for Jesus, His Spirit will use your words to bring that person closer to salvation. You may not be that person to lead them to the Lord, but you are leading them by being part of that group. An evangelist named uh, Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman stated that the New Testament reveal, reveals about 40 different people who were healed by Jesus. Of this number, 34 were brought to Jesus by friends. Only six out of those 40 came to Jesus without the help of a friend. What was true in the first century is still true today. Most people who come to Jesus will be brought, brought by a friend. You connect with them. You lead them. You let them see Jesus in you. And you invite them. And, and, and that's, the, that's usually the avenue in all of this. That was true for me. A good friend of mine, you've heard me tell this before, Greg Costello. Good friend of mine since junior high, and we're still in touch. And we still do things. He was the one who came along 
my side in high school, seeing that I had some questions and, and uh, wonderings about this Christianity stuff, uh, especially the virgin birth. That just blew me away. I was, what? <laughs> I, I, I've gone through health class. And that just doesn't sound right. Um, and other things, too, of, of uh, different stories in the Bible and stuff like that. And he was a great friend to come alongside and just be able to be there to answer those questions and be patient with me. He didn't try to pick fruit before it was ripe. <laughs> and it took a while. It, it, you know, a whole long time, but it took until the summer after, after my senior year. And, and, and he invited me, not only to the youth group over at Valley View, Evangelical Church. John Stress was the youth pastor at that time. He also invited me then to Camp Baker. That was the youth camp for our conference. And that's when God knocked me right between the eyes and said, the day is the day of salvation. But he was patient enough to just come right alongside me and just be the friend to invite me to different things and be there with me. And you know, that's what it takes sometimes. To be the friend to come alongside that person and just be there through their journey of discovering Jesus as their Savior. Every one of us has friends. Every one of us has co-workers or neighbors who need to hear about Jesus. We have a part to play in God's eternal plan. I heard a story about the day that uh, Jesus returned to heaven. It says the angel Gabriel asked Jesus to explain what had happened down there on earth. He asked, did, you make a, did, did they make you king? Jesus answered, no. Did they make you prince? He said, no. Did they worship you? Most of them did. Most of them didn't. Well, then what happened? Oh, they crucified me. But after you rose from the dead, it, everyone worshipped you, right? And he said, no. So what is your plan? And he said, I left my people down there. Gabriel looked skeptical, but if they fail, what is your other plan? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus replied, I have no other plan. We are it. We are it to be able to share the gospel to other people. And Jesus is counting on you to not let those moments and those situations go by. Opportunities to say something. Opportunities to let people know who Jesus is to you. So be motivated because we, we are plan A. There is no plan B. There is no other plan. We are it. Be motivated to share your faith by considering it a heavenly honor. By drawing from the spiritual warehouse God has filled in you and realizing the reality of hell that people face but anticipating the joy that comes from leading someone to Jesus. It's so worth it. <laughs> so worth it to be part of that process in someone's life. You may, not, you may not harvest the fruit. You may not pick the fruit, but you can be part of that harvest by being able to be part of the plan and the process of someone's spiritual life. Are you willing to do that? Are you motivated to be able to do that? Are you ready this week to be used by God in whatever way possible as he prompts you? It's about obedience. It's about trust. <laughs> Trusting that God knows what he's doing 
Because you can look at a situation and go, are you sure you want me to speak to that person? <laughs> Use that one. <laughs> when God has tapped you on the shoulder, are you ready to obey? It's a question for you to answer, a question for you to consider. But I trust that the day you're more motivated, share your faith, realizing these things we find from John chapter 20. I'm going to have Becky and John come on up. They're going to lead us in the last couple songs. And as they do, if you want to come and pray, if you, know, if you need to respond to God's message for, for you today, the altar is open. You can come and pray. Those who are online, if you need to take time to pray, just you know, create that space there for you and God to talk while we sing these last couple songs. But again, if God is prompting you in some way, be ready to obey because uh, he's counting on you to be able to move his gospel forward.